welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, where I explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and this is episode 23. This is the second show in a series of shows I'm doing on family rituals and routines. Last time I focused on the family dinner. This is a ritual that brings us together after being separated during the day, at least for some family members. I planned today's episode several weeks ago before the COVID-19 crisis emerged. My show notes were already written and I was thinking like, I, I should just not do the series anymore. It seems so, um, you know, I just, I just didn't want to minimize the significance of what our country's facing. The pandemic, it has clearly changed the, it has changed our life, my family's life. Um, you know, in my county, we have, um, we're living with a shelter in place order for three weeks. People in New York City, it's really a complete shutdown. Experts fear the pandemic, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. So I planned this show, which is on sleep routines, many weeks ago. And I thought, that's just, oh gosh, it's just so silly. I should be focusing on the pandemic. And, you know, I've decided to go ahead with the series for a couple reasons. First of all, at times of crisis, we know that we should provide continuity for our children as much as possible. And part of that can be, um, you know, sticking with their usual routines and rituals. We as grown-ups, we can take the lead and we can model for our children a sense of calm and confidence. And for me, one of the ways I'm able to do that is just to stick to our family routines and rituals. We can't really shield our kids um, completely from what's happening. They're astute enough to know something's up anyway, but it is true that through our lead, they can learn that they can get through anything, even quarantines, even not being able to play their favorite sports or see their friends or go to school, right? They learn that they are strong enough because we can hold them and help them feel strong through this. Okay, so that's one of the reasons I want to just stick to the series. Second of all, I need it. <laughs> Doing the podcast, it's part of my routine. I have a routine where well, my general plan is usually that I write a blog post one week, I do a podcast the next week. So I alternate. Uh, during the fall and the spring, I teach several language arts classes for homeschoolers. And, it, and really during those weeks, sometimes my usual routine kind of gets off because I'm so busy preparing for those classes. But I still have that routine where every other time that I'm working on my ministry, I'm either podcasting or I'm writing for you. And also I want to stick that routine. Doing the podcast is something that's familiar to me and I want to keep my life on track as much as po possible. Also, many people that listen to podcasts, they don't listen to it, um, you know, when it comes out. You may be listening to this long after spring 2020 when I'm recording it. So I don't want to assume that you're going to be somehow offended that I'm talking about sleep routines because you may be listening to this long, long afterward. And so anyway, I just want to emphasize I'm not minimizing what's going on by focusing on this series. But anyway, so my approach for the podcast of the time being is just to keep moving forward. 
Okay, with that said, let's get started. So first, I just want to remind you of a little bit of background. So there are scientists who focus specifically on this topic of why children fare better in homes with strong rituals and routines. Remember, there are three types of rituals. There are those daily chores and expressions of love, those rituals that are just, we do them every day as part of living. And so there might be like little welcome home rituals that you have with your kids, bedtime routines, those sort of things. So I think of those as routines, right? But they can have a ritual-like quality to them. There are also rituals connected to celebrations of rites of passage, like birthdays and graduations. And then there are family traditions connected to our faith, right? So those are three kind of routines and rituals. Um, so no matter what sort of ritual, having these rhythms in our homes, it creates meaning for children. They contribute to shaping a child's identity and sense of belonging. This is who we are. This is what we do, right? So they help children feel secure. Uh, they also help children know what to expect. It's Saturday today. Today we clean the house and we have ice cream. So Eric Byrne, he was a, um, a psychologist who talked about common human psychological hun hungers. And one of those hungers was our hunger for certainty. We like to know who's in charge and what to expect. It's all about structure and, and children thrive on this. This is why um, rituals and routines makes children, it makes, helps children to feel safe, right? Because it gives them a sense of certainty when we stick to our rituals and, and routines, even during times of unrest. Rituals, in particular, provide a sense of identity for kids. I've heard Gordon Neufeld talk about this many times that one of um, the problems with um, the loss of family ritual, he thinks this is very sad because um, a child's personality and their identity, um, it's often shaped partly through family and community rituals. And because you know, our society is off track in so many ways. We've lost some of those foundational rituals. Okay, so that's a little bit of background. So today I'm gonna to be focusing on a very important daily ritual, especially in families with small kids, bedtime rituals. Now, what about, what's the difference between a routine and a ritual? I've heard, I've tried to, um, I've read a little bit about what the distinction is. I've seen many ways of trying to distinguish them, but basically most people say a routine is something you do without really thinking about it. Um, you know, they're everyday things like, you know, every night you, um, you know, put out a clean dish towel or you, you know, brush your teeth without thinking about it. Uh, with our kids, um, you know, those, routine, those routines are really, uh, useful and just kind of keeping them on track and getting them to do what we need them to do without them really thinking about it. The routines, it helps to um, regulate their expectations and their behavior. But even those routines, they can have ritual-like qualities. So let's think about, you know, some bedtime, common bedtime routines. Brushing teeth, putting on pajamas, having these routines, it just you know, kids will just do them without fighting us on it. If they do it every night, 
they're less likely to resist us. And depending on the child's age, these little routines will be different. A one-year-old might have a bath, nurse a little, have a story, while a 10-year-old might have a snack, brush their teeth, hear a story, talk about their day, right? So, you know, those are kind of routines, but I know a lot of parents who turn those routines um, into little rituals by just adding their own, I don't know, their own intentionality to it. So they their, their routines take on a ritual-like quality because the parents make them really meaningful and deliberate. And so there is nothing wrong with just the basic routine. You don't have to turn brushing teeth into a ritual. But know that if you are brushing your child's teeth and you sing the same song every night, while they're brushing their teeth, it actually begins to take on a little ritual-like quality because the child attaches meaning to it. Okay, so I'm gonna offer some ideas for bedtime rituals. Some of these are just basic routines, but it has this element of a ritual-like quality in it. So tucking in rituals. If you, um, like my husband, when my kids were little, when he was tucking them in, he would always like wrap them up real tight like a burrito and roll them up and the kids would kind of giggle and laugh. And this was like a fun little um, ritual that he had with them and it helped them kind of connect to him at night. Some parents sing the same song to their child when they're tucking the child in. So they have a special tucking in song that the child associates with that moment at bedtime. Talking rituals talking rituals. Some kids, they're kind of like quiet and they don't really tell you what's going on with them. But at bedtime, it seems like they're able to open up more. They're more relaxed. And so they, um, if you're having a hard time connecting with your child during like really busy times in your home, try talking rituals. So you can have these like discussion starters every night like what what was your biggest challenge today and how did you deal with it what was the biggest blessing of your day so my kids and i did this for a long time what was the biggest blessing today what was a really hard thing for you today and so that sort of idea changed as the child got older but um um, we had those kind of little talking rituals reading rituals this is one of my favorite my favorite rituals. So my husband's been in charge of the bedtime story for all four of our kids since they were babies because he really enjoys this ritual. I tend to be very tired at night. I'm a morning person and he's a night person. So this is just what how we fell into this routine when we were young parents. He would always tend to do the, um, the bedtime story. So he texts um, the child into bed and he sort of snuggles them in the crook of his arm and he opens the book. And he does this the same way every night. And this kind of physical connection with them, it's really one of the few times that he as a father has just one-on-one time with each of his children, particularly on work days. He really enjoys picking the books out. And he's shared with our kids many of his own favorites from when he was a child, including some books that I've never heard of. There are books that were popular with kids where he grew up in England, but um, 
you know, I had never heard of them, like the um, the Secret Seven series. It's kind of like a kids mystery series. So he read all those to our kids. So he loves um, picking books out. But as the child gets older, he will go to the library with our children and they help him pick out the books they're going to read for the bedtime story. So see how it's like developing his relationship with them. They're looking forward to having the story with him. I mean, just think about all of the benefits with literacy, with communication, vocabulary, um, and just really the bedtime story in my family, it's one of the best ways of helping the child calm down and come down, like having all of their energy kind of quiet down so they can accept sleep, right? So anyway, Philip is a very good storyteller. He puts different um, accents on for different characters. He's very animated in his um, storytelling. And at the end of a chapter where they're going to leave off for the night, he kind of asks a cliffhanger type question to build the excitement for the story for the next night. So those are some little tips that I've learned from my husband about um, bedtime stories. When I do the bedtime, he usually takes about an hour, right? We, right now, we only have one child left who has a bedtime story at night, and he spends about an hour with her. I, When I'm in charge, because maybe he's traveling or he's ill or something, uh, it's usually about 15 or 20 minutes because I'm, I'm tired, and I, um, I just don't take as much time as he does, but he loves it. Okay, then there are prayer rituals. One of the easiest uh, prayer ritual is just to remember the Ignatian examine. Remember these steps. So I do this with my daughter Lydia every night. We do three things. They're just three things to remember. Not five, not eight, not ten steps. Just three things. This is good to do with younger kids. You say the sign of the cross, and then you each offer something that you're grateful for for the day. We usually offer more than one thing, but you know you can just offer one thing if you're if you want to, and then we say, so I'll say, um, you know, let's offer something we're grateful for. Then we each offer our prayers aloud, and then I say, now quietly to ourselves, let's let's offer our sorrow to God for any mistakes we made today, and then we pray silently about things we need to say sorry for, and then you we ask God for anything. Um, that we want to pray for for ourselves or others and that's those are prayers of petition and then we end with a sign of the cross or maybe a Hail Mary. It's really a good idea too to get children into the habit of thanking God for the gifts they've received because um, we live in a society of, um, of abundance so helping them recognize the gifts they have and also re helping them recognize the gifts they have in the people in their lives. You can go through your family tree. Thank you, God, for grandpa and grandma and Uncle Sam and, you know, um, and Dee next door. Just naming the adults who love and protect the child kind of surrounds him with a net of safety as he goes off to sleep. So, of course, we can thank for the for for the um, childhood friends, but I think focusing on the adults and the family tree helps the child feel this sense of like a safety net around him right before bed. And 
one thing I want to talk about, so I've talked about just some basic um, background information on why rituals and routines are really good for kids. And then I've offered you some specific rituals that you might practice with your children at bedtime. Well, now I want to talk about um, a few tips if you have a child who's very resistant to going to bed, who resists sleep. Parents with a child um, who doesn't want to go to sleep, who's very anxious at bedtime, who holds on, who wants 10 glasses of water, just doing the routines and rituals consistently will help such a child feel a sense of calm and she'll tend over time to go with the flow. However, some kids become agitated and clingy at bedtime because they're anxious about the separation from the parent. They can act up just anticipating the separation. They may not even be consciously aware of it, but they're anticipating the separation and it um, alarms them. I've spoken before about the six ways children attach to us. Attachment unfolds over several years through six modes of attaching. Physical proximity, sameness, belonging, significance, emotional intimacy, and psychological intimacy. So each phase requires increasingly more vulnerability. In ideal circumstances, a child can move through one phase at a time during each of the first six years of life. So a little baby can attach through physical proximity, a one to two-year-old, uh, is capable of attaching through a sense of sameness. And then when he's two or three, he can connect with you um, through a sense of belonging, right? So it goes on like this through the first six years of a child's life so that by the time he's six, he will be securely attached to us. And what's really cool about that is then those six phases, physical proximity, belonging, sameness, those are all ways that your child um, can connect with you and how you can actually collect your child and help him to feel safe. Uh, so what does this have to do with um, the bedtime routine? Well, young children are frequently afraid of the dark or of being left alone or of being forgotten. Where are these fears coming from? Sometimes it is because they're craving physical proximity to the parent particularly if he's really young, like less than five, the child um, really could just be needing to be cuddled for a while or the parent might sit in the room with the child for a while. But if the child is older, like seven or eight year old, seven or eight years old, the source of the alarm might be um, one of the other roots of attachment. So a child can revert back to some of the lower levels of attachment, like needing to be physically close because it's all he has. He might for some reason not feel he belongs with us or not feel he's significant to us, right? He loses a sense of safety in one of the other areas of attachment that require greater vulnerability. And it can be for nothing no re nothing that you've done wrong or that I've done wrong. It could be that we're um, dealing with a sick child or we have a, um, a relative that's in crisis or we're preoccupied with work. We're doing something really important, but um, the child still has a sense of alarm, like he doesn't really know 
if he's important to us or if we belong. It can even be a subconscious thing, right? So he has these yearnings that aren't being met. So he resorts to more basic forms of attachment, like physical proximity. He wants us to hold on um, to him physically because he doesn't feel held by us and some of the other um, more vulnerable types of um, attaching. Right, and no, another really interesting thing, and you all know this intuitively, a child can feel alarmed by their growing independence. So when your toddler starts walking, you probably noticed that they are they become a little clingy. It's almost like they revert back in their sleep habits a little bit. Um, when a child starts school, these are exciting milestones, but they um, are also a step away from us and necessary loss for that child. The child does need to step away from us, but it also scares them a little bit. So they can feel a little unsettled. So they, they, they hold on. So what can we do? So there are many, many types of advice about this. One of them is keeping the rituals and routines going because it gives this, the child a sense of safety. Another really good piece of advice is bridging separation. Right, so there, instead of focusing on separation, you bridge it by focusing on um, something that represents attachment to you. So this works not only um, at bedtime, it works for any type of separation. Bedtime is one of the big separations that tend to produce issues in the parent-child relationship. But there are other things like if you have to travel or if you need to correct the child's behavior for some reason, the child feels it as a separation. And so you can use these bridging tips um, to bridge the, the sense of um, separation. So first, focus on what is staying the same, even though it's bedtime. Use terms of endearment for your child. Oh, you're still my, um, uh, you know, my sweet Lydia. You know, I just loved, um, you know, the way we spent time together today. Just focus on what's still the same. They're still your kid. You still love them. You still cherish them. You know, life is still good. Second, take your time with the bedtime routine so the child feels... Um, how much joy you have in her presence because that will that will speak to possible um, alarm they have about not feeling significant or not feeling cherished so my little um, you know I tend to be much shorter with the bedtime routine than my husband's but when Philip is traveling I have to pay attention to this like honestly I would probably spend five minutes <laughs> because I'm so tired at night so 15 or 20 minutes I'm I'm working hard there but if I do sense as particularly our youngest who's very sensitive to um, any changes in our routine when Philip is traveling um, I often do have to extend it I have to spend time with her until you know she feels a little bit more calm. Um, and so the, I guess the big point I had there with number two is make sure your child knows how much joy you feel in her presence. Because if we rush, it can make the child feel like we're trying to get away from them. You totally do not feel that way. But we just want to take enough time and just really let our child see our eyes, feel held by our gaze like there you are. I know that seems sort of, um, I don't know, that, that seems sort of weird, but it's true. Like, just look at your child and have her see you seeing her. And then she feels kind of held and acknowledged. 
And the third bridging tip is, okay, this is so important. And I did not get this until well into my motherhood. Point your child to the next point of connection. Don't point your child's face into the separation. Time to go to bed. Let's turn the lights off. No, no more water. Instead, point your child's face into the next point of connection. Focus on what you're doing the next morning. Oh, when you get up, we're going to, um, you know, I'm making pancakes tomorrow morning. I can't wait. Or I can't wait to see you in the morning. Or I'm going to see you in my dreams. I can't wait to see you in my dreams. So that's pointing your child to the next point of connection. So just quickly review, focus on what stays the same, take your time with the bedtime ritual so your child senses your joy in their presence, and third, point your child to the next point of connection. So I hope those tips help. God be with you all. That is it for today. You can read show notes for this podcast on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com. There you'll find articles linked to research on parenting and child development. You'll also find links to connect with me on social media. And I love to hear from you. Pray for me as I will for you. God bless you. Have a great day. 